Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. We would like to welcome everybody to number 65 of the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Podcast. And today, we are blessed and honored to have Billy Litz from Hustle Souls. Um, welcome, Billy. And we're going to get a, a bit of information from you. And boy, this is going to be fun. So let's do it. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Appreciate y'all uh, hosting me on this coffee break. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we were, um, you have a, you have a gig tonight. I do. We're playing tonight, uh, fairly close to town, but, uh, I got to leave after this, uh, heading, heading out for a show. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's not as far away. Last week we, we were, you know, we were on the road all week and drove driving five, six hours a day. I'm, I'm barely going anywhere. It's going to be easy today. You're located out of Nashville, Asheville, North Carolina. Yep. Asheville with an A, not an M. That's correct. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful country. Yeah, especially right now, it's like, uh, we call it peak leaf season, but it's like the biggest tourist time here is we got the Blue Ridge Parkway, and you never really know when it's going to happen. It's a couple weeks, maybe a week and a half, two weeks, where all the leaves are still on the trees, but they're all just like popping in wild colors. And it's like, it's absolutely gorgeous here right now. Uh, it's, it's pretty stunning. Uh, they're all the leaves are going to be gone. It's going to be a bleak winter, East coast winter before you know it. But like the next like week and a half is just absolutely gorgeous out here. That's great. We just, we just yeah. met uh, somebody, uh, I don't know, a little South of you who's in the town woods, uh, on our last. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, quite quite interesting. Um, reviving um, a bald cypress, which yeah. apparently the English chopped everything down because they chopped everything down in England. And when they found Charleston Harbor, they realized that there was timber there, and that's the reason they did it. So, uh, but a really interesting um, uh, process to start a, a new wood for guitars. Oh wow, that's fascinating. That I mean, yeah, I I don't know that much about the trees. The drummer in my band is actually the uh, the wood expert. He, he we drive down the road and we see we see a truck going by with you know giant piece of timber on there, and he he'll tell you exactly what it is and freak out about the grain. And uh, I'm fascinated <laughs> by, it, but my brain can't like I can't remember. I can't identify things or remember that. I can't catalog things. So. You know, every flower is a rose to me. I can't tell the difference between a daffodil and a rose to this day. But uh, there, there is, you know, the East Coast, we cut down trees a long time ago. Um, there is one old growth forest around here, but there's, you know, uh, it's the East Coast. I think people were very tree hungry uh, pretty early on. Yeah. Well, we, we, uh, got, we had that connection because uh, he's supplying some wood to Santa Cruz for their NAM guitars. And that's actually how we got the connection to you was from Joshua Santa Cruz. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, I knew of Santa Cruz 
uh, peripherally. My my dad had a, uh, or still has rather, uh, a music retail shop uh, outside of Washington, D.C. area, Victor Lewis Music Center. And so I've, I've always known the guitar world a little bit, but I've never played a Santa Cruz guitar. Um, and uh, Fred Gage from Sugar Mountain Music, my band, he started working with my band a little bit, and he kept talking about his relationship with Santa Cruz. And you got you to gotta Santa Cruz this, Santa Cruz this. And to be totally honest, I was a little bit skeptical because I played a lot of instruments. And, uh, you know, once you hurt, hit a certain point of quality, it's like, yeah, this works, this is good. Um, but I actually, you know, the first Santa Cruz I ever got to play was a used parlor guitar, it was real small. And I was playing multiple, just, just for fun, just playing multiple guitars in a similar price range and the santa cruz just like it, it was almost like dr driving a different type of vehicle it's like it's not even a guitar like it sounded so clear and it just it just responded in a way that i literally never felt in the guitar and then i was like uh fully converted and uh fully a believer and i was like there is something really special happening here and uh so i'm so i just got my my santa cruz uh a week and a half ago an h13 and uh i can't put it down that's, that's a, a great guitar yeah that that that's richard's that's richard's flagship guitar he, he would he would you know in interviews you'd read about Tony Rice and all that stuff, you know, and you'd read about all these dreads and everything. But that H13 is really his. Did you get one of the happy troms or did you get the... It's it's kind of custom, custom, custom built model. Um, but uh, it's it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, I can, I can show it to you real quick if you're interested. Yeah, no, Guitar Geek's here, Guitar Geek's here. Yeah, well, let me, let me just, I'll just pick it up and just, you know... I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to, we don't have to go on about Ooh. it forever, but I got this Georgia Ooh. peach spruce and mahogany sides and it's, uh, it's, it's the most beautiful thing I've got, man. It's, uh, I've, I'm, I'm like deeply in love with this thing already. And it's such a unique guitar and it's so different from anything I've ever played, but, uh, I, I feel, I don't know. I feel like a little piece of my identity is, is wrapped up in this thing. We uh, we did a um, we did a, a podcast with Lisa Liu who had just taken um, delivery of an OM, and she uh, she said it was forty eight hours. She lives in New York, and it, she got it in the winter, you know. And she said, "I'm supposed to sit here and wait, <laughs> you know, to <laughs> open the, to, I was, uh, open I, the case." She said, I got to wait two days to open the case. And I think she broke that. She said she broke down after the first day. And she had written a song called Anticipation while she was <laughs> waiting, waiting to open the box. So I was told, do not open this thing for 24 hours. And in my head, I was kind of, I don't know if arrogant is the right word, but I was like, yeah, I've got self-discipline. I've, you know, if I want to go on a diet, I can go on a diet. If I want to do, like, I'm a pretty disciplined person. And I was like, this is going to be easy. I'm going to get the box. I'm going to set it aside. I'm not going to think about it. And the whole time I got this little devil on my shoulder, like, you can open it. Nobody's going to know. You don't have to tell anybody. You can open it up. It's going to be fine. It's fine. I bet it's fine. And it took, it was, it was a true test of my willpower to sit there and wait, uh, you know, once I got, I got a, 
you know, you get a, a big, ugly cardboard box that could be any, it could be refrigerator parts in there. But then I, I open that box out and, and just the case is just this, this black, brown, it's like the sleekest, most, I don't know if I can uh, say badass on here. I, you can bleep me out, but it's a badass case. And I was like, it, it was just gorgeous. And it just sat there taunting me. And I got a small house, so I kept trying to hide it in different spots to get away from it. But, <laughs> you know, that you start to have these conversations like, yeah, nobody will know the difference. It, it's not going to, nothing bad's going to happen. But I waited, and uh, it was, you know, it was well worth the wait. Because by the time I took it out of the case, I was literally, like, kind of shaking with excitement. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A new, a new Santa Cruz. That's a, an awesome experience. Well, but tell us a little bit about your, your musical background. How did you get into guitar? I mean, was that your first instrument? In, in watching your videos, I haven't found an instrument you don't play yet. Maybe the kitchen. So, <laughs> yeah, I play a lot of instruments. Um, so my dad has a retail music store. So I, I was never. Come on, give your dad a not... shout out. Yeah, Victor Litz Music Center. My dad Tony, he's he's the man. His his father actually started the shop. He was a he was a jazz guitar player. He started teaching uh, group jazz guitar lessons in the the Washington D.C. suburbs. In this is probably eighty years ago or something like that. So he'd go to community oh. centers and uh, yeah, the shop's almost that old. So he's maybe even longer than that. Uh, he was he would get together the community and do group lessons. And then he started teaching private lessons. And the story I'm told is that he was more like me where, you know, he wasn't as business centered. He just loved guitar and he loved playing music. And uh, he had a little lesson studio, started selling some guitars. But then my dad, when he came into his own as like, a, you know, today, 18 year olds are barely, uh, barely out of middle school, I think. But, you know, when he was 16, 17 years old, he started running the shop and got really into the retail side of it, built it up and and uh, kept doing lessons. But retail was a big part of it. I personally didn't really fall in love with music right away, but I always had the option to take some music lessons. And I was just never that passionate about it. Um, but my dad kept bringing home weird instruments because he wouldn't have storage at the store. So he'd have some guitar sitting around for two weeks and then he'd take it away and then a drum set in the living room. And so, you know, I would always uh, eventually get bored of whatever TV I was watching and I would pick up an instrument eventually. Then uh, middle school band, and I'm a big like school band program uh, proponent because I would have quit music a hundred times over if I didn't join in school because i just had to do it every day and no matter what uh extracurricular activities i got into in high school like i was always had to go back and play music for 45 minutes every day um so trumpet in middle school band was when i like really made a connection and made a breakthrough where i felt like i wasn't just trying to learn an instrument i could actually kind of make the sounds i wanted to make um and i felt kind of deep into it then um but, you know, I grew up in the guitar era of music. Not that it's not the guitar era now, but I think especially growing up kind of in a music shop in the 90s and in the early 2000s, it was like there was, you know, you go talk about NAMM show, you go to NAMM and it's 90% electric guitars and there's a couple pianos on the side and a drum set because everybody needs a drummer. But it was a guitar world back then. And I played trumpet and it was kind of, didn't I, I didn't 
connect with Nirvana at the time, which my peers were listening to, because I was playing trumpet. So I was listening to Louis Armstrong and early jazz music. And then I eventually uh, found indie rock, which like kind of my bridge out of that. And I realized that the trumpet, what I really fell in love with in music was songwriting and, and writing songs. And that's still my like main passion. And I realized eventually that, um, yeah, trumpet's just not the vehicle for that. It's 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 totally essential in the horn section. It's great when Louis Armstrong plays it, but uh, you're not gonna write. You know, the, it's it's not the best songwriting vehicle. So I took music theory knowledge that I gained through studying on my own, playing music in school, and I was able to figure out the piano, which is a fairly intuitive, logical instrument compared to the guitar, which is still a bit of a mystery to me. Uh, but my music theory knowledge was helped me. I could play triads and I could play chords on piano. So I started writing songs. But still, the songs that I was listening to, you know, I was into Ben Folds and, you know, there's Elton John and Billy Joel and Dr. John and Leon Russell. There's there's a couple piano guys, but still, guitar is where it was all happening in the songwriting world. And it was really, I went to school for college. Uh, I went to school for music in college and uh, I brought a guitar with me there so that I could write songs in my dorm room without setting up a keyboard or a piano. And uh, it it really connected with me just as a songwriting vehicle at first. So that's the longest explanation I'll try to give today. I'll try to talk less. No, I, that's, yeah. that, that's great. That, 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 that's really interesting insight. I was. I was thinking as you were talking about that, how trumpet came into really rock and roll, you know, with uh, with with Bloomfield and you know forming this, what was it, Mike Bloomfield's thing or something like that. And but he literally paves the way for Blood, Sweat, and Tears and Chicago and CTA and all that stuff that was happening. Really, it it's a really interesting voice and i was trying to visualize writing moon river on the trumpet <laughs> you know the, yeah, that's a, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting image but you know there's a lot of great trumpet composers and songs, especially in the jazz world but they all play piano or another instrument and it's you know it's a single melodic instrument and uh you know, I found so I, I was a, a much more comfortable piano player for a long time and uh, probably still am compared to guitar. But I just first and I it, I've got a couple theories on it, on why it is. But I think the American songbook, like it just lives on guitar. And for me, acoustic guitar in particular is where my my favorite songs come from, where my best songs come from. One theory is that that's just what I grew up listening to. And most songwriters that I respect uh, were doing. Um, there's a lot more singer songwriters that I can name that are playing acoustic guitar versus uh, the piano. But then there's also, you know, just the, you know, if you're a budding guitar player playing your cowboy chords in first position, there's a, a natural voice leading that's built into the to the guitar, uh, just the, the way that the strings are arranged where you're gonna be on the piano to be able to pull off that kind of voice leading is actually pretty highly skilled and takes a lot of 
theory knowledge to be able to pull that off. But if you go from E to A, cowboy chord style on an acoustic guitar, it's perfectly voice-led in the way that we want. And so you just, you, you don't sound like a clunky amateur on a guitar right away. And the songs just, they're just, they just pull themselves together. And there's not, you know, as many loose ends that need to be tied up on the guitar. And so, you know, it was never a conscious choice to write on guitar, but it just, the the songs that came just sounded better. And uh, that's that's where I ended up doing it all at. How, 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 what's, what's your process? Do you, do you have the, you have the melody first or do you have an idea or, or what's your process? Uh, <laughs> the it's a, it's a it's a loaded question the songwriting process is what you're referring to is uh yeah. so i was i did a songwriter showcase the other day where we were kind of going back and forth me and the other songwriter in the round and uh i said it was just like existential dread that uh is my process and I'm just thinking that a song's never going to come again and uh it could go in a lot of different ways i'm going to say the most the most common thing that happens is I get a block of time where I can sit down and play. And that could be five minutes. It could be two hours. And I go off in the woods and try to really make space for it. Um, but I'm playing chords on the, on the guitar. I'm, I'm finger picking. I'm, I call it going fishing. It's like, you just throw your line out there and sometimes something catches. And my job at that point is to literally throw, throw stuff out there into the world and be paying enough attention where if something is good or not even good, but has the potential to become good, I'm catching on to it and I can, I can work with that idea. And when a song is going to be good, uh, you, there is a certain magical spark that is, it has nothing to do with voice leading. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's just, a, it's just a spark and you can, you just know. And uh, trying, I'm trying to get better at, not talking myself out of the good ideas and not convincing myself that bad ideas are good ideas. Um, Cause I've chased a lot of bad ideas into, into the corner and spent weeks on songs that I throw away 20 minutes after I, I call it done. Um, but generally there's a melody is to me is the, is where that spark has to be. And the harmony Harmony is going to tell me a little bit about the background of the painting. It might tell me what genre I'm in a little bit, um, but it, it, the melody is what really, really matters. Often there's a, a simple harmony with it, um, a simple guitar rhythm or picking pattern or something that's pushing it in that way. But at the end of the day, it's all about the melody. Um, and then, you know, generally, I'll write the whole song, at least a verse and a chorus, maybe even a bridge where I know I could write a lead sheet for it. I can write the chords and the melody before I mess and do anything with lyrics. But the whole time I'm singing nonsensical mumbly things. Sometimes there's a glimmer of something coherent. Sometimes it's actually like really deep thoughts that I haven't told myself about yet uh, that are actually coming up from the subconscious. Sometimes it's terrible nonsense uh ramblings but once i get the music there then i i have an idea of the energy of the song the vibe of the song and i i will often step away for a little while and then come back and try to dive into the lyrics uh in like a whole separate session um there's obviously exceptions to all of this and it goes a lot different 
differently. I've been carrying around a notebook lately. Uh, I've got this cool wallet that's, uh, are people going to be able to see the video? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They, so, they see the video, yeah. We were playing this music festival, uh, Bristol Rhythm and Roots in Bristol, Virginia, Tennessee, and somebody was selling these leather wallets, and I needed a wallet. And this one comes with, like, a pouch for a journal. And uh, I felt a little cheesy about it at first. I was like, who do I think I am? I'm not like Woody Guthrie walking around writing stuff down. But I was able to write notes about, hey, you need to call Steve back. Or I, I get this idea, um, and I was just able to write it down. And you know, a quick passing phrase or just a philosophical idea. Um, and for the first time ever, now I've got these little nuggets that I'm able to pretty intentionally turn into songs, uh, because of this little notebook I have with me. Um, so my lyric process has, has changed a little bit lately. Um, but still it's coming after the music. I didn't, written, didn't, did, yeah, go ahead, Ted. I was gonna say a written notebook. It has an emotion. When you, when you write, when you're putting lines onto a piece of paper, you're putting an emotion in them that you can't do with digital media. You know, we all carry our phones and, you know, keep the note about the doctor's appointment or whatever else on them, but it's, it's sterile and it doesn't mean anything. But writing a note, you know, on a piece of paper, it's like writing a card uh, to somebody or writing a letter to somebody, you know, an email doesn't carry the, the same kind of emotion that a, a letter or a card does. And I think when you're trying to do something like songwriting, where that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get something across to people that those handwritten notes probably help help you remember what that thought and that emotion was when you came up with it. I completely agree, and I'm not I'm not generally a very metaphysical person, and I you know, uh, but there really is something for me that is just like really ugly about modern technology and the iPhone and the. And it's, it's practical. I keep a to-do list on, on my Google Sheets, and that's where I put, remember to call Steve. I'll, that eventually makes it on there, and I sit down at the computer in my basement, and I crank out work on technology. That, and, you know, we're, we're having this conversation across the globe right now. There are parts of it that are very functional and, and helpful, but uh, when you are uh, trying to summon the muse out of uh, the, the ether, the, the, something about a, a pen and paper sometimes i'm like damn if it you know maybe this mechanical pen is too much maybe i need a quill and it's really i just think it's it's i i don't know because it's like i don't like talking about energies and they're you know but there is something that feels completely different when i when i have when i have a, a piece of paper and a pencil in front of me and you know i've got a typewriter behind me over here it's like and maybe it's just in my head. It's like, I think I'm Charles Bukowski because I got a typewriter and I think I'm Woody Guthrie because I'm carrying around the leather bound journal. But, you know, even if it's a placebo effect, which it may be, it it's helping me get into that headspace and to, to summon the muse and to just, I see people writing songs on, on iPhone and it's just like, to me, it's just, I, I, I just cannot imagine staying in that, creative zone uh in in that world um and i even like you know i'm so busy now as uh an adult and i got a newborn baby and uh no, you congrats. know i've got emails to send thank you yeah i've got emails <laughs> to send all day it's like 
lately I'm having to run further and further away from the the trappings of my life to write songs and I, I'm driving an hour and a half into the woods and the mountains here to just get away because um, I do I you know with technology with iPhones there's there's notifications and meetings and and you know things that are just it's it's an intrusive technology it's like it would be great if it was there when I needed it but it wants into me and so I'm trying to push it away as far as I can for my creative process in the early stages eventually you know we all record on pro tools and it, you know you need the computer there but that that comes later you you have permission to um believe in the ethos and believe in in the magic because it, it truly is magic i mean you know it, it, examples like petty played the first three notes of the waiting for two weeks in his in his kitchen and it's all he had you know, um, Henry Mancini, Moon River. Again, I, I, I'm sorry it's in my head, but I just watched something on him. He played those first three notes for a month in his apartment. He wrote the rest of it in 20 minutes. Yes, and you I, know? <laughs> there, there, and I, you know, I'm partially, maybe I, I it's, I do believe in, in the in the magic of, of these things. I do believe in like the magic of the wood in a Santa Cruz guitar and like the, you know, I know that there's songs waiting in there and that inspiration. I do believe in the magic of a leather bound journal. And I do believe that, you know, the same three notes in the same exact order from me on a different day are gonna be, are gonna be lackluster. And they're gonna, for some reason, they're going to have magic when somebody does it. And, you know, people talk about artificial intelligence and there it's going to come in and start writing songs. But it's like, you know, I'm trying to steal Bob Dylan's best ideas all day. And it's like and I can do the same chords and the same rhythm and the same thing. And it it, it if it doesn't have that magic spark, you know, it, and I, I, I really do wonder, and I ask myself all the time, it's like, what, what is that? Can I get closer to what is going on there? Why is, why is it when I go fishing for songs that sometimes when I play a D major, it's the heavens open up, and sometimes it, it's just, you know, it's just cardboard. And uh, it, it's called it, fishing. It might, not it might just be magic. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's called fishing, not catching. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that, that, but it, I, I, I firmly believe that there's forces greater than than we know, and when we allow ourselves to accept that fact, you know, that we're not completely in control all the time, and something bigger than us out there, then then good things can happen. Yes, I believe it too, and you know, I don't know why I feel like I need to caveat it when I talk about it and saying I'm not generally metaphysical, but I guess, I guess that there is a, I'm trying to avoid sounding like, you know, like I'm an easy, an easy sell. Like I'm, I'm, you know, this guy's going to join the cult and drink the wine. Like let's, so I'm a skeptic generally. I'm a cynical, skeptical person. I'm pessimistic and I'm fully convinced in, this magic that is in some melodies sometimes. And so that, I guess that's why I tried to do the caveat is that, you know, if, it, if it's not something that I truly experience, like I've experienced it multiple times and I, I, 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily believe it. And I'm not just saying it to, to try to inspire somebody to, to create. It's like, I really do think sometimes that, yeah, there's a, there's a magical spark sometimes that just, that hits things. And I do think, you know, I can get my head in, in a, it's, you know, you can call it summoning the muse. You can call it, it's just vibrating in a different way where sometimes I'm bored and depressed and stare at the wall for, for a long time. And sometimes I feel so fully alive and the, the I'm connected and the energy is just flowing in a different way through me. And it's like, I'm working, I'm working hard to try to get into that headspace and whatever I need to do to get in that headspace to, to summon to summon that energy, summon that muse is, uh, is, is what I need to do. And like, that's, it's sometimes I have to drive an hour and a half away from home, walk in the woods with a, with a notebook and no technology, staring at a Creek for two hours before I can get myself moving in that way where I'm open to these outside forces, you know, where, where my, where my, my energy is flowing in a healthy state that's ready to be created. Um, it's hard to do. It's, yeah. it, it, I was say, yeah. trying to eliminate or reduce the demands of everything around us to let other things in is, is really difficult. And when people, you know, when people, anybody says to me anything about there being a, a more powerful, more imaginative, more knowledgeable force in my life, my immediate assumptions are talking about my wife. And uh, that's usually the case. <laughs> yeah i uh are, yeah the the i don't know i uh i'll i'll make it well yeah small comment uh just yeah i whatever whatever it is um that is that is well so i guess it's it's you know, you, you can't live in a psychedelic dream state connected to the muse all day, every day. You sometimes you got to tie your shoes and do projects around the house and 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 fill out tax forms and, and things like that. And it's like you would. Uh, we if we lived in the wilderness, you know, if I was sitting there singing songs to myself every day, I'm probably going to get bitten by by a lion. And so <laughs> it's a very practical thing for me to wake up every day and drink coffee and sit down at the computer and be in a very not creative state. I have, I've self-diagnosed myself with like ADD for my whole life. And I get, I can, I go into dream world very easily. It's a coping mechanism to get me through public school is just, I can zone anything out and go daydream all day. Um, and it still happens, but now I'm able to, you know, I put a box around it and I can get stuff done and I can send emails and, submit my taxes on time. Um, but that's that brain that is doing that is not the right brain that's going to be open to new ideas and and in not even creating melodies, because I think an AI can create every melody that exists. You tell it the algorithm, it's going to spit it out. But it's is it going to be am I going to be open to knowing and recognizing the magic in these melodies that are coming out? And it's a it's two totally different brains and two totally different personalities I don't, I don't it's like yeah the brain needs it's needs to be functioning different to do the creative work um and it would it would mess you up and i think it does mess up a lot of creative types of people who are not able to move between these two worlds and 
you know, I think my biggest fear is getting stuck in the tax season brain. And when my existential dread comes out, I go to write a song and I'm just not responding to the muse. I'm not able to connect with it. I start to beat myself up and get really down on myself because I'm terrified of that. You know, I'm never, it's like a magical fairyland that you, that you get access to sometimes. And it's like, man, what if I get kicked out forever? That's, uh, that's my <laughs> biggest fear is they're not going to let me back in. And so uh, I make a point to leap over walls and, and try to get back in as much as I can. Did you spend a lot of time, did you spend a lot of time in detention when you were in high school? I did. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had some, I was, I, you know, I think it would shock a lot of people today because I'm a fairly like, fairly mellow, uh, serious person you know i joke around uh in like the privacy of the you know my most intimate relationships uh but i, I was the class clown in high school and I, I made a joke of everything it was always getting kicked out of class and uh trying to make a mockery of you know i think it was uh the um what's the word uh well i i knew there was something to rebel against i just didn't know how to do it or what to rebel against in a way i knew i knew that something was off in the culture and community that i was in and i, I knew it could be better and i and i didn't know how to direct my um how to direct my energy so i just knocked stuff down and tried to tried to make a mockery of everything and i sometimes succeeded in making a mockery of it i'll i'll say <laughs> the, the system is not designed to teach you how to protest against the system so no. yeah <laughs> you know and if it, if it was though if it was if somebody said hey like you know we're we're because I, I i don't i don't see it as like a i'm talking about like you know public high school i don't see it as a victim and a like a um antagonist protagonist situation i think the teachers also know hey this system's messed up we're trying to navigate it we're trying our best the world's a dirty place it's 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 confusing capitalism's difficult the other options are difficult everything's hard we're trying our best to inspire you but it's it's hard to do like i think if somebody was like hey we're all in this being lost thing together and you know here's my suggestions is you should read these books and learn these uh algebra equations but i get it that you see you don't see the point in it because i think if somebody was able to to give me a way to rebel and say hey we're on the same page this this all kind of blows like how do we how do we create a, a different way of things i may have at a certain point if you call me early enough I may have been able to respond to it, but instead it is trying to keep the train from going off the rails. They get, you know, it's a little bit authoritarian and just not having the humility to admit that nobody really knows what they're doing and knows how this all is supposed to work. Uh, nobody admitted that. So I was like, well, I guess I got to just run away from it and tear it down and, you know, hey run off the edges of the world you know to get away from this um and it, perhaps it could have been different i don't know i i also don't think anybody could have communicated much to me at 16 17 years old yeah no that's i think we may have had a slightly slight advantage in that situation growing up in the late 60s early 70s and 
Berkeley and San Francisco. Um, but anyway, we can. We yeah, I mean, first. there there are you know there's there are cultural movements and there are you know there's renaissances and there like the, there's the enlightenment. There there are there are times when the that people admit that things are not as good as they could be and they try to make them slightly better or much better you know and um i think that there you know i i think that there's a pessimism after the 60s and 70s i don't know if pessimism is the right word but um i i forget who this was it may have been the songwriter from the band dawes who said this but uh you know, Bob Dylan's thing was like the times they are a changing, and then it's like nowadays we're like, well, what, like, what, is, like, my song has to say exactly like what, what that's gonna be. You know, like we're we've tried a lot of things as a culture and a community, and as a country, as a world, we've as global citizens, we've tried a lot of things and hit a lot of dead ends. And I feel like my generation, the generation below me. And it may, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but I, I sense, and I'm not saying this is my thoughts necessarily, but I sense a sense of, um, it's not really just nihilism. It's just like, uh, it's the uh, effort is futile. It's like, you know, starting a commune, trying to, trying to do green food, you know, it, it, we're trying to, trying to reinvent the wheel. It's been tried so many times that, we might as well just accept our fate that this is our wheel. And, uh, you know, it's a sad, I, I, I say it slightly sad, but I also don't blame anybody who feels that way. Um, it's just, you know, we're, there's a lot going on in the world right now. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, the, you know, we've, I, I, we don't need to get into specifics. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. You can put your, one of the 10 tragic things that are happening in the world right now. And, uh, you know, it, I think a reaction, a fair reaction, and I don't think it's what I aspire to, but a fair reaction I don't judge anybody for is, well, shit, like this is, this is not easy. And I don't know how to make it better. And I don't know what, you know, what my role is in making it better. And is there a way, you know, and I think that there is, I think human, like, it shouldn't be that hard. You know, that's, some of the songs I've been writing uh, lately, one of them is just called Easy Mod. It's like, it should be Easy Mod, but we make it hard. It's like, it shouldn't be that damn difficult to feed each other and live on the same planet together. It's, it shouldn't be that hard, but it, it sure, it sure is. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that that's where, where people are at right now, where, you know, but I think we got to say it out loud and admit it, you know, and well, I think you know that that's where music I think really has one of its greatest strengths is in being able to express these kinds of things. And, and that's kind of what you're doing and by writing songs and, and some of the stuff that you write and some of the stuff that you do. Um, and, and that's what I'd like to, to talk a little more about is let's talk about hustle souls and what you're doing yeah. and where you're going. And I, you yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to bring, I had no intention <laughs> of bringing world politics into. This oh, I know. Brand. I know. Uh, but, but you yes, know, right let's, at let's the moment, you know, to avoid. Uh, no matter how sad and pessimistic I sound right now, I, I do believe deep down in an, in the beauty of life, and I believe it is possible to 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 get there uh, oh, yeah. for everybody. 
And uh, I believe, you know, Hustle Souls, we sing about serious stuff, but we're also a fun party band. You know, we do New Orleans horn, brass music. We There's an optimism even in our most serious songs that I'm trying to make you cry during. Uh, 100% of the time, there's, there's a, I don't know if optimism is the right word, but a hopefulness. And, uh, you know, that's, that's that's one of my biggest messages when I go out and play is like, what do I want people to feel when they when they leave this show? And like one of the things that I want you to come back and I want you to buy a record. But the true thing is, I want you to feel that like life is possible. Enjoying life, even in a brief moment, is OK and possible. And um, and reminding people that, yeah, you know, not not to that the effort is not futile that we can we can enjoy ourselves and um you know if i had to write a thesis on what i want from the band i don't know if we ever achieve it or not but that's what i would love for people to feel and uh yeah we're putting out a new album uh this we we just released a song last week we're putting out another song in november we're putting out a whole album in december we've got vinyl coming to my doorstep on uh, Monday this week and uh you know I I it's it's a pretty bright album if you see the album cover it's literally rainbows and trees and brightness and uh it's pretty it's pretty forcefully uh bright and feel good well we'll we'll make sure to have links to where people can uh check that out and order it and everything uh included with all this um I just want to say you know even the, the beautiful thing about writing music is even if it's a sad song um, or a happy song, whatever else, it just shows a commonality of emotions that we all share. And it doesn't matter what else is going on. It ties us all together. All of us have experienced heartbreak. All of us have experienced joy. All of us, you know, have, have been through high times and low times. And that's what music reminds us. Um, and well-written music especially just brings that right out to the forefront and you find yourself sharing that with a bunch of other people. Yes. And I, you know, when I, when I started writing music, uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I convinced myself it was like a selfish act. I had really, really bad stage fright and anxiety and performance anxiety. I did not share even the fact that I played music, I wouldn't share with people for a long time. I, I hid it as part of my personality and part like, um, and so I would convince myself it was a selfish thing. I do these songs for myself. If nobody ever hears them, they're still serving their full purpose. Um, but I actually discovered how much like, and I had the actual thought of like, oh shit, this is me. This is, I've thought this. I just didn't have these words. I was reading, uh, you know, I was, it was, uh, I've got a tattoo of him right here, but uh, the this is Dharma Bums right here, Jack Kerouac. Uh, so I, I picked up this book. I didn't read at the time, but this this guy was on the cover hitchhiking, and I, I was I was curious about it, and uh, I read it, and for the first time ever, I was like, "This is I've thought this before. This is somebody giving me the words that I always." I didn't even know that I needed them. It's like, it's three levels down. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. And this person is giving voice to those thoughts and telling me that my existence is, I'm not alone. It's not lonely. And, I, and I'm, uh, it's like validate, validating my existence, validating the parking. You know, it's like, you, you, you're allowed to feel this way. You're not wrong. 
you're not crazy and and then i realized like obviously and it, it's it's gonna sound so obvious uh sometimes i have this this way of explaining the rules to a board game that everyone else already figured out a long time ago i'm like oh you're supposed to try to get all the x's in a row for tic-tac-toe and they're like yeah that's the whole damn point of the game but it took me a while to realize yes the whole point of this music thing is to connect with somebody and to say you know happy and sad those aren't really what you're feeling you're feeling something much more human and much deeper and there's no word for it there's no color that represents it and you sometimes you need a 900 page book sometimes you need a three minute song sometimes you need a hug from somebody but like if you can communicate like hey i felt this before to somebody uh man that's it's like the, with some of the most powerful moments of being a human and you know at the end of the day i'm a music fan first and foremost and it's like those chills that i get and those like i don't cry very often but it has happened and it's usually like it's bumps it's goosebumps i get where i just i i feel validated and heard and i see somebody else's humanity completely it's it's easily one of the most powerful things that you can do as a human being it's, it's kind of funny to hear you say that you have stage fright, because I got to say, watching your videos on YouTube, which I've been doing for a while, there's no indication. <laughs> it, is a, uh, it is a skill, like playing an instrument, is like learning how to express yourself on stage. Uh, and, you know, I used to... So I was very, very, very insecure generally as a person. I didn't know myself and I was ashamed of who I was. And then I'm trying to sing songs that kind of explain who I am, but I don't want you to know who I am. And that is the literal panic attacks I would get. I'd go to play trumpet in college and my trumpet would be shaking, smashing me in the face because I'm having a panic attack. My body's out of control. Um, but I wanted to play music and, you know, Tequila got me through it. I joined a cover band and took a couple shots before some shows and I got in the zone and was able to play back backing keyboards for a band and I got used to it. But uh, I had this vision that, the you know, I could never lead a band and have good stage presence. So I convinced myself to be Miles Davis, where you turn your back to the audience, you don't say anything, you don't make an effort. It's their job to come to me. Um, and that didn't work at all because I'm not Miles Davis and it, like, it, it didn't work. Um, and uh, then so I was like, all right, I have to be Freddie Mercury. That's that's what stage presence is, is it's Van Halen. It's Freddie Mercury. It's like rip your shirt off, like scream at the top of your lungs, you know, dancing around, jumping on stuff. And I tried to pull that out of myself and uh you know, but I failed at it a lot. And then I saw Jeff Tweedy from Wilco play by himself one time, not with the band, but, and he is controlling this thousand person room by himself with an acoustic guitar and him compared to Freddie Mercury, you're like, this guy has no stage presence at all. He's just, a, he's just an old dad talking about his kids. And it's, it's, but he has this authenticity and this vulnerability and this confidence where he learned how to fully be himself on stage. And it doesn't matter who you are. Humans are all interesting. And if you can figure out who you are and be that unashamedly on stage, you can command a presence. And your presence doesn't have to be Freddie Mercury and mine is not Freddie Mercury. But I started to just study the art of being myself 
on stage and, and, and ask myself the question, you know, what do I want to communicate? What do I want people to see? Do I want them to see it's time to chug liquor and party? Do I want them to see it's time to cry about our girlfriends? Is it, what is, what do I want you to feel? And literally like asking these questions amongst the band or to myself, talking them out loud, writing about it and trying to figure out who I am, what I'm trying to say. And, uh, you know, it's a skill. It's, it's a literal practice. And now I'm able to, you know, sometimes not confidently, sometimes I fake it, but I can walk on stage and, and present a, a, you know, present a presence. And, uh, but man, it's taken work. It's taken a lot of work. Well, you've done it really well. I have to say it's been uh, uh, fascinating watching your videos and listening to your songs. Uh, I guess I guess they call it Americana music. It's still a, a term that seems kind of, I don't know, I don't quite know how to define that, but it's just good music to listen to. And it's the kind of stuff that kind of can lift you up when it wants to. I mean, having the brass in the band is fantastic. Um, I think yeah, that I mean, that's a joy and a voice that adds that, you know, we added the saxophone to our little band recently and the difference in how songs come out is just amazing. And with your ability to do trumpet and keyboard and, and guitar and all at the same time, it seems sometimes, um, it just, it's great to watch. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I almost quit trumpet for, for at, a, at a certain point because songwriting and playing keyboards and guitar in the band was was taking over and then uh i went down to new orleans and uh you know had this whole uh brass is very it is uh you know miles davis is so interesting because he plays trumpet but he's like the introverted trumpet player but in general man it goes out to you and it, it, it invites you in it's a very inviting instrument and uh you know about the americana thing is like i I consider ourselves Americana, what we're doing nowadays. We, we used to have some prog uh, elements and jazz elements and all, but like, I think that the term Americana, I think was my understanding of it. And I could totally be wrong with this. I'm definitely not a music scholar or history scholar, but it's guys like Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark who were a little bit left of center of the country, Nashville sound. And we're doing some slightly, I'm not going to say that, country music was not intellectual, but their, their stuff just didn't really fit the mold of a country song. It, it had, it was, it was a little bit intellectual, uh, a little bit, I'm not, I'm trying hard not to downplay great country music that did exist at the time, but there's a difference uh, in some ways between what Towns was doing and uh, some other artists were doing. And uh, I think it was a, a way of segregating out that music from country music. And, you know, a lot of those guys like Guy Clark and Townsend that didn't see as much immediate commercial success as, as other people, because they, they weren't country music, they were Americana, but it was Americana music. Um, but then I think of Americana music a little bit more broadly today, because basically what it means, I think, when people label the Americana station is like, it's stuff that's just a little too edgy for country music radio. And plus, you know, I, it, it's, but it's country music at the end of the day, what's getting labeled there. And if we were honest about it, it would be, it would be country music. But to me, Americana is New Orleans jazz music, traditional jazz music, Delta blues. It is Motown and it is Prince and it is Nirvana. And it's like American music uh, is, is really wide ranging. And so 
we do some stuff that I would call country music. Um, but we also, you know, we're also playing New Orleans traditional jazz music and we're also playing blues music and we're also playing some rock music and we're definitely trying to do a lot of soul music. And it's, you know, to me though, it's, it's extremely American. It's, it's classic Americana music. We're referencing the sounds that came out of America in, uh, in that we, you know, that we grew up with or influenced the people that we grew up with. And, uh, you know, I try to say it at every, every show that we play and sometimes I don't, but while we're on the subject of it, I do think it's really important to say that like the music that we're playing was created by genius black Americans and I'm writing songs and I am putting my own flavor to it, but it was black Americans that created jazz music and blues music and country music and soul music and gospel and you know we're directly pulling from gospel music we're directly pulling from second line you know it's it's a uh and i just yeah the, it's really important for me to say that it's genius black americans that uh paved not even paved the way but perfected and created americana music that uh now often is you know it's a generally americana's kind of looked at as a, a white genre and it yeah. came from genius black americans all of it yeah no we we, we can't yeah. deny that at all that's uh, uh one of the greatest contributions to our culture that i think we've ever heard so yeah 100 percent agree it, 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 i have a pretty good blues knowledge and uh it 100 percent without without question the debt that that we owe to muddy and you know driving a tractor I, oh yeah well I, I was picking cotton at seven and i was driving the tractor at 12 you know i, I was in charge you know <laughs> what, what it, that's a life that yeah. we, doesn't exist to us you know i mean we we can't even imagine that 14 people living in you know, a house is, I have 900 square feet, 1,400 people living in this house, you know, I mean, just so they could get up in the morning and, and go, go drag a sack, drag a sack around. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's amazing. Um, we, uh, we probably need to let you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, we, <laughs> We, you, you have you you have brought something very 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 special to this, and um, I, it's funny. We always kind of think about it as I always kind of think about it as we're driving the truck down the road and we get to something really great and we head for the ditch. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's there, there, there's excitement in the ditch. You know, the, the road the road is the road is is normal, but boy, the ditch can be. Uh, a pretty cool place and uh, you took us to the ditch <laughs> ah, you know well hey when the when the hustle souls album does come out and uh i i you know again it's supposed to be hopeful music and I, it, it is and so i i uh, i really enjoyed this conversation we went to some yeah. some we went to the ditch a little bit but uh, i appreciate y'all <laughs> going there with me and uh it's been a it's been a blast talking to y'all yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you'll make it out to the West Coast and uh, 
maybe uh, do some shows out this way to promote the album and promote yourself. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm working on it. I, I, it looks like I'm gonna be out there in uh, in January and uh, gonna gonna work on getting our uh, our West Coast feet under us. There's some good uh, good stuff out here. Um, there's a, a show called Coyote Radio. It's run by George Thompson out of um, Sonoma. Um, that's uh, on Sunday morning. That's kind of would you guys would fit perfectly on. And uh, here in in the Monterey area, we have a, a station called KPIC that is still live radio. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, it, 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 streaming actually. Uh, it's just KPIG, but um, they do they do live interviews. They do live stuff, and they're very very. I hate to use the word Americana, <laughs> you know, because it because it's yeah. really that, that's a bad it's a bad word, but but it, it's that's not really a bad, bad word. It's not. I bad. love the word Americana. I yeah. you know I uh, I, I mean it's I love just, it. I, I, it's so it, wide open. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, I uh, I've been listening to this this podcast. Uh, it's the the history of rock and roll in five hundred songs. I don't know if y'all have heard it, but he's going through early early rock and roll and it's man it's deep stuff this is like college level class stuff. like it, it's it's really deep so i'm i'm barely i'm 30 episodes in or something uh but he he talks about the you know the way that genre was has always been used and it is about segregation and it is about it was there were race records and then that turned into rhythm and blues and it was it was just specifically to and country music was for white people but lower class white people and there was Music and it, it was all about segregating people. And, and when you look at Americana music, it's uh, coming from the same places. It's coming from gospel, black like communities, and jazz music, rock and roll, blues music. The the segregation is 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 so arbitrary. I mean, the float between blues and rock and roll and gospel music and and early jazz music is you can do it in. The, between the verse and the chorus of one song you can hit at you know the roots of all american music and i think that's what we you know that's why i consider us americana music is like it's all coming from that same that same place um, yeah, so i love great. the word americana we, if, it, if it's becoming a bad word we got to take it back <laughs> okay well we can own it we can own it to the positive side of things yeah thank you billy have a have a fantastic day and a, a great show and um Vinyl Monday. Yeah, it's coming in. Yeah. <laughs> you can get yourself a copy. We'd love to send you one. Uh, it's also going to be out there streaming digitally, zeros and ones, uh, very soon. Uh, so, yeah, Hustle Souls. All right. Well, all, links to all of this will be included at the end of the podcast here. So, we'll make sure that uh, everybody can find that and order it and uh, uh, add it to their collection, I guess. Uh, for those of us who still know that you can put a needle down on a piece of plastic and hear something. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Have a great Thank day. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. 
If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.